Hi, I'm Diane Chandler. And I'm Perry Grossman. And this is Own Your Throne. Ladies, your life is not over. You are just at the beginning of reigniting and redefining your life. And through this show, you will meet inspiring women who have recreated and redefined what it really means to thrive and age gracefully. Our guests are some of the most inspiring women on the planet. We were honored to sit down with each of them and get real about their own journeys and what it took for them to truly own their throne. Hi, everyone. I'm Perry Jones Grossman, and welcome to Own Your Throne. I'm here with my amazing friend and compadre and co-host and Oh my God, sometimes she's my therapist. She's the person who kicks me in the ass. Everything is Diane Chandler, right, baby? Yes. Hi, Pierre. I missed you. I know. We haven't talked. I mean, it's been crazy. I I took off on a trip to Colorado, and you're going to laugh because it was a horseback trip, which anybody who knows me knows this is not my, I'm I'm barely hanging on like this, you know, falling side saddle. But um, (laughs) we had such an amazing time. We went to Dutton Hot Springs, which is right out of uh, Telluride, Colorado. And let's just say when they went horseback riding, I spent some time in the spa. I was in the- Oh, I love that. I know. It was so incredibly beautiful. It was this like really old mining town and these old buildings that had so much soul and you know, they even had a building with a library with these big leather chairs. And I went in there and wrote and it was just a good time. You know, God, how many times can we talk about the power of our girl tribe? I think sometimes, you know, our girls are more of our therapists and we just got in our cozies at at night after we had dinner and, and talked until, you know, midnight and everybody had their turn on the hot seat. It was kind of funny, (laughs) but it was great, and, and I'm glad to be back home and, and uh, you know, be back in Sun Valley and seeing all the pretty fall times. So anyway, that was my week. I love that. Yeah, I had some girl time, too. We had dinner over at a friend's house one night with a bunch of girls. That was super special. You know, I, to just to piggyback on what you were saying, I think it's so important right now. I love my friends more than anything, and spending time with girls, like, regenerates our insides and you know, as much time as I'd love to spend with Paul and my children, I really need my girlfriends. <laughs> I'm I like, God, yeah, I do. It actually just picks me up. Yeah. You know, for a while. No, I, I, I agree. It was so funny because someone asked me the other day, it's like, what is your biggest act of self-care? And I have to say, it's really spending time with my girlfriends and it's, you know, whether it's on phone, whether it's on email, even if it's a little text. And of course, the time we had together for five days, gosh, I came back and my soul was so enriched and I felt heard and I felt like I could say anything. And there was so much unconditional loving. So if you guys are like looking around and thinking, what can I do? Maybe I feel a little lonely going through this COVID deal, you know, connect with your girlfriends and if you don't have any, get some, because I'm telling you, they can really make a difference, right? I love that. If you don't have any, get some. Go get some. Put an ad in the paper. I don't get know. Some. Well, that is a great transition into our guest, because our guest is one of my friends who's in my girl tribe, and I just love her to the ends of the earth. She is an incredibly special human being. Her name is Danielle Martin. Gosh, where do we start to, to introduce Danielle? She is from Hawaii, uh, was a pro surfer, was a world champion, Pan American, and national champion in jiu-jitsu. 
Uh, she is a tell has been a television personality and she has been known for her unique and impressive combination of traits and talents. The list goes on and on you guys. Um, her passion though now is to cultivate a message of personal protection from the inside out. Mm. She is a performance coach, a mental coach, one conversation with Danielle and you're fired up. That's just her. She is not just an incredible athlete. She went to UCLA, was a model as well. She graced the cover of Sports Illustrated. She has been in Elle Magazine, Self, Health and Fitness, Shape. I mean, she, she's incredible, you guys. So without further ado, I would like to introduce my friend, Danielle Martin. Hi, Danielle. Hi. Hi, hi to you. Can I just call you Miss Badass? Yeah, I'll Jenny Fleck. I'll Jenny Fleck. Hi, Miss Badass. I want to share with you guys the first time that I met Danielle. Gosh, it's probably been 10, 11 years, or I saw Danielle. She owned a boutique here in San Diego. One of her many things that she does. She's also a mother of two boys. And let me, I, that's, I know her pride and joy and her biggest job in life is to be a mom and she's there's no better mom than Danielle. To go back, I met her at a at a store one day and I walked in and I'm like, whoa, like you know when you see someone and it's not just her beauty, her energy like is the whole room. And I was then I look up on the wall and I see these photos of this athlete and I'm like, is that her? There's no way that's the same person. I was like, oh my goodness. And then she started talking and it was just Yes, and I've just always adored Danielle, and we've become really good friends over the years. So, Danielle, I thought we'd start at the beginning, because your story is one of resilience, and it's incredible. And I would love to just share with our audience a little bit about, you know, how you were raised, where you were raised, and your story. Thank you for that incredible introduction. <laughs> I don't feel worthy. Um, thank you, Di. Di is such an amazing person, and I always get emotional when I talk about her, because she's that incredible and has as many dimensions as I have. You can 4K that with Di. She's just incredible and she's a, such a beautiful human inside now and such an amazing mother to three incredible girls. So Di, I've always looked up to you. When I first saw you, it was the same thing. I'm like, oh my God, that woman is so pretty and she just has this beautiful energy. So you've always inspired me Thank to be you. better. And yeah, you know, I was, I, I kind of had, um, a mixed up crazy childhood. You know, I had young parents. They had me when I was young, when they were young. And, you know, I think kids raising kids is always brings kind of an interesting twist to things as I look back. Um, I wrote a book called True from the Inside Out. And as I wrote that book, it really kind of triggered so many different things. And I had this different perspective than I'd ever had looking back. And I really was able to look at my parents. I think as we grow up, we want, we look up at our parents as these perfect beings and we have these expectations for them without even knowing it, that they're perfect. So when they let us down or something goes wrong or we feel insecure, we don't feel safe or, you know, for all the multiple re multitude of reasons that kids don't feel safe around their own parents. I think it's just this dark, quiet place that we go live in. And and when you're conditioned in that space um, into life, a couple things can happen. One, you get really good at taking smack and you get good at accepting less, settling and kind of dealing with it because you're conditioned to. The other thing that happens is you don't learn boundaries for life. You don't learn when's enough's enough. You don't learn how to navigate men and relationships and different things 
because what you've witnessed is all you really know. But on the contrary to that, you step out and you have friends, you play sports and you're out and about and you start to see right and wrong. There's this human nature that takes place where you can sense that security in other people and that right from wrong in other people. And, you know, I gravitated towards animals and kind of by myself a lot of times just trying to figure it out and navigate it. But I was also, I'm the oldest of four girls, one sister of which I found out about maybe four years ago that I had. But I always felt this tremendous amount of pride being the oldest sibling and wanting to be that example for my sisters. And I think without knowing it when I was little, that was a huge motivator. It probably saved me a lot of times from making wrong choices or going down the wrong path. You know, my mom is, you know, she's a great grandmother, not a great grandmother, but she's a, she's a good grandmother to my boys. That's redeeming to what I experienced with her as a child. You know, she was just, she gets mad, you know, she got mad at my book when I wrote it. But for me, there's a lot of redemption there in who she ended up being. And, and I really believe adversity in our life. And even when we make poor choices, it doesn't have to define us. It's not how we fall. It's how we get up that defines us. So for me, I have a lot of compassion. I have a lot of forgiveness towards my parents. But at the same time, there's times where I've chose not to reconnect on certain levels and in certain ways. And, you know, I just, I send them a lot of love and compassion. But what I endured as a child, you know, from abuse to I felt abandoned. I felt I was in the middle of cheating and a dad overstepping the lines of father-daughter relationship and having to go through that and hold that in and navigate that. And then have to try to watch like a sheriff and protect my little sisters from what I knew was capable. And, you know, as I wrote that book, when you're young and you're a teenager, you don't realize the torment you're in because it's all you know. But now when you're an adult and you look back, I saw this little girl navigating all these things. And I had such a different perspective and such a tremendous amount of like hurt and sadness that I'd never felt during that time. I just pushed through it. I'd never tried a a drug. I was afraid to not fail because I just looked at failure. I didn't really have a lot of failure. As a kid, I was an incredible athlete. I got California State Athlete of the Year. I graduated with 12 varsity letters. I actually lived in Dana Point and also lived on Kauai. And then I inevitably left Kauai early 17 and was on my own from then on. I was homeless for a little bit of time. I was living in a beach bathroom. And when you're navigating that as a little girl, when you're a teenage girl and all you want to do is fit in, um, it's painful. It's painful to try to hide and not wear on your sleeve the details of your life in those moments and to miss out and to be working three jobs and putting yourself through school and then to have the pressures. And everybody looks at you. And I always tell kids when I speak to kids, you know, at junior high and high school levels, I sometimes get called up for bullying seminars or whatever. I tell them, you never know what that person next to you is going through. Because I was that kid. I was the best athlete. I, had, I didn't really let anybody close to me. I kind of was kind of just cordial friends with a lot of different groups because I didn't want anybody to know really my secret or what I was, where I was living, what I was going through. I didn't have the cool clothes. I didn't have you know, a lot of things, but I never felt like I didn't have things. I just felt like I just want to keep this quiet. I just want to get through this. And I want to get as far away from that situation reoccurring in my life as I can. And so everybody thought she's an amazing athlete, her life must be perfect, and and it was far from it. But for me, the minute I graduated high school, I took off in the surfing community and then 
Next thing you know, because of surfing, I did a swimsuit pullout for Surfing Magazine, and that really put me on the map for modeling. Then all the modeling people were calling Surfing Magazine. I remember they were like, you have to get an agent. We can't keep telling you shape called for you. And they were basically navigating that for me. And, um, and then I had a TV show at 18 and was, you know, my life went from tremendously difficult with really without me realizing how difficult it was to extraordinary. And I just never looked back. And, you know, I didn't look back till later in my life when all those things of what I didn't have came in and, and, and bit me pretty hard. You know, I, um, had, I met my kid's dad fresh out of UCLA. Two years into that, we had my first son, Bryce. He, got, he was playing for the Dodgers at the time. I was modeling and working at Fox Sports. And then we moved out of LA, down to San Diego. I didn't know one person, not one person down here. And I moved into this giant, beautiful, empty house, and which for me was a representation of my relationship. On the outside, it was beautiful and big and on the inside it was so empty and I didn't know anybody down here I immediately got a horse and dove in I'd always wanted a horse so I kind of lived one dream and while well, the other one was crumbling down to the ground and I was raising this little boy and pretty much by myself not really knowing what was going to happen or what was going on a lot of things fell apart in that relationship quick he cheated while I was pregnant so I felt like I'm going to try to forgive this and keep it a secret and everything else. And then really, I think what got me, we had another son, was when he could be here, he wasn't. And that was where I drew the line. When kids were asking, is baseball still going on in January? And I'm like, no. You know, so a lot of things went awry with that. Um, we never ended up getting married. And, you know, for all the women out there who were in that situation, it, that came back to bite me later. I just trusted blindly. I was just thought, oh, no way he's going to do anything. And he ended up taking everything from the kids and I. And that became a battle that was so tremendously difficult. And I realized what I'd gone through as a young kid, that gave me the resiliency to handle this and to know that if I don't give up, I'll get to the end of it. And so that resiliency was amazing. But resiliency isn't just about what we have on the inside. It's, it's about the people we surround ourselves with. Because if you don't have good people around you, you won't, you can't be as resilient. And you know, when you go through really tough times like that, and you have everything one day, and then you have nothing the next, which is really what happened. Um, being homeless and all those things, it, I was like, why did that happen to me? It's different when you have two kids and you're facing that situation overnight from extremes. And it's amazing the people that come around you, circle you, and send you energy. And amazing how some people look at you kind of like, yeah, you have everything. I want to see you struggle a little bit. Like, it, it was, that was so mind-boggling to me. But resiliency, appreciation, um, gratitude for the little things like, oh my gosh, I can get up today. My kids are healthy. That's cool. I'll figure this out today. One day at a time. And, you know, without knowing it, I did that when I was a young kid. Sometimes I'm like, where's that grit? Where's that little grace and grit girl when she was 17? I need her right now because I feel everything now. I'm a lot more vulnerable now. When you have kids, I think that strips away a piece of the, right. the armor. You know, it's like your heart's outside of you running around. That's kids. Your heart is out. It's not about you anymore. Can I, can I just jump in here and ask you a question? Because first of all, I just want to say, wow. <laughs> That's a lot. And I... I so honor 
you and what you've come from in your story. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of women out there, men out there who are going through some of those tough times or they've had some tough childhoods and they haven't done the inner work to get to build the resilience that you, you know, so beautifully talked about. So I have a question for you because when I was reading about you, I know the challenge that you had when you were growing up. Did you use sports as a way to push through those difficulties, number one, and learn the survival skills of not only the sport, but of life? And then the second follow-up question on that is, when did your past catch up with you? When, when did it come back knocking on your door that you needed to deal with it? First, you know, those are good, great questions. I think that life in the universe, God, whatever you believe in, we have a purpose while we're here, every single one of us. And the people, there's a lot of people out there suffering and struggling and feeling purposeless. And I believe, this is just my experience, and I believe it because I feel like it's what's happened to me. We need to listen. We need to be here open and vulnerable to what our purpose is. Because otherwise, what happens is the earth, the universe, God, whatever you believe in, is going to continue putting pressure on you and forging you. And some of those pressures, you know, don't always come in the means of adversity, but adversity breeds the strength we're going to need to fulfill and kind of walk out that purpose, if, if that makes sense. Yes. And, you know, I think sports for me was me saying, I want to go to college and play sports one day. It was such a small but giant goal for me at the time. And sports were always this beautiful channel that wasn't drugs and alcohol. It wasn't what I'd grown up. My mom got, went to prison for methamphetamines, dealing and using. My dad was a pothead and creepy to me. And I just was like, ew, I don't want to, I'm not that. I don't want to be that. I never felt comfortable around that. I saw kids using and doing things and trying things and their parents would always be their safety net. And I didn't have that. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe. That's not okay for a little kid to navigate, a little girl especially, to navigate life and not feel safe, to not be able to turn to my mom and be like, be able to have that closeness with her and that connection or have her look out for me. And then have my dad be the man in my life, keeping me safe, but putting me in danger directly as him, him. you know, it, it just, it's so ugly. As I look back on that, I'm just like, not okay. But when I was little, I just made it okay. I made it okay because I went and got great grades and I was California State Athlete of the Year. So directly that affects, that looks and reflects on my parents. Like, wow, amazing people, mm-hmm. you know, and nobody really knew. But when you get elected homecoming queen and then you go in and you pull yourself off of the court and tell them, I just don't want to do it. When every little girl wishes they could be that girl. You know, I couldn't afford a dress. I didn't have a dad to walk me. I didn't have I had nothing. And I'm like sitting under the bleachers watching it because I couldn't even afford a ticket to go to a homecoming. I was elected the queen on and then somebody else is doing it and all their dads are there. Like, I wish I had the courage to ask for help. I wish that I could have gone up to one of the dads that I played little league in a league of 400 boys and all the dads loved me. They would have been so honored if I was like, would you walk me? They would have died to do that for me. And I just felt like such a burden. I felt so unworthy, not good enough. And, you know, sports, thank God for sports. They carried me through. I, somebody cared if I showed up, they wanted me there on time. I was, I I was validated when I won things, but 
at the same time, being the best at stuff and getting all those awards at the end of it, I was like, next, where's the next fill? Yeah. You know, and thank God that was what I did because I was fierce at that age. I, I had so much energy and I don't, I still don't have a quit button, you know, and, and I think that in, a lot, that in a lot of ways saved me and it kept me on this, it kept me kind of holding that edge that I needed to get through that time and space that was so dangerous as a young little girl out in the world of predators you know, thank God I had that edge and maybe that intimidation factor that kept a lot of wrong people away. Mm -hmm. But you asked another question, when did it come back to bite me? I felt like it came back to bite me after my relationship with my kid's dad. I felt, again, not good enough. I, I felt like it crept in. Just, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I didn't realize that shame and guilt were such heavy anchors that when somebody cheats their family and you in particular, it doesn't reflect you. That is on them. But I owned it just like I did as a kid. I owned what my parents were doing. I swallowed it. I hid it. I, I just moved through the space like everything was okay. And that really came back to bite me in my late, my 30s, because, late 30s, because I attracted like a straight up monster. Um, I got involved with my jujitsu coach and it was ugly. I attracted somebody so opposite of my kid's dad who is a possessive, jealous, um, telling me, you know, nobody loved you before because they didn't care. And he was like looking through my phone and doing things that I never had any guy to like do to me ever. I'd never been talked to like that. I'd never been handled like that. And inevitably here was, I was going around talking to people about anti-bullying and I had the biggest bully in the planet bullying me. So not only did I not feel good enough, I felt like a fraud. I didn't know when's enough's enough. I had zero boundaries. I didn't know, I basically just let anything happen. I was like, gave the same rules to a guy I was dating as I would my kids. Just forgive it all, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it was so far from okay, inevitably, it led me to getting extremely assaulted where I got thrown from a moving vehicle, um, teeth knocked out of my face, mm -hmm. and I landed on the cement out of that vehicle. And I will never forget, it was, I was sitting on the cement. It was the day I got my black belt. So it would be, you know, I must have smiled too big for him or something. Wow. And he destroyed that day. You know, I trained jujitsu for a good, I would say 11 years before I black belt. And it was like getting your doctorate. It's like you become a professor of something. So it's a big day. And of course he had to ruin it. He ruined several others like that. And I was on the cement and his brake lights were on. And I remember looking, he's going to turn around and hit me with his car and try to, he's going to kill me at this point. He had beat me up before, but never like this bad. I was embarrassed, you know, but I remember being there, gathering my things in the dark, trying to throw all my stuff in the purse and my face, like I was feeling my face in my body because I'd just come out of a car, like rolled onto the cement out of a moving vehicle. And I remember it was like God sitting right there. He said, Hey, get up. You're okay. Get up. This is your black belt test. You got your black belt, but it's not, that's not it. I have something much bigger for you. I need to know that you can carry what I have for you. Mm. And you got to get up. Trust me. Get up and run. And I got up and I went down this embankment and I hid in the dark. And I remember I saw a cab go by and I whistled and he flipped around and got me. And my eye was swollen shut at that point. I couldn't see very well. And I just said, take me to my car. And he's like, oh my God, were you in a car accident? What happened? I said, no, just please take me to my car. And I remember the gas station attendant came out and called 911. And um, 
you know, he didn't end up getting prosecuted because he ran and a cop got involved, which got super shady. But I stood up the whole way through years it took to get to a civil situation and and get through that. But you look around, and you're like, why would that happen to me? I always, I believe in karma. I believe in doing good and doing the right thing and the right thing happens. But this is where I come back full circle telling you that the universe will kick your ass until you're listening. And I had an ego, I, but it wasn't what you would think of as ego. My ego was more like, I can love it out of him. I can make him better. I can change him. And people in abusive relationships don't understand is that you can't change that. We control our effort and attitude. We do not control someone else's. No matter how much love we think we have to give, if you don't give it to yourself, you are going to go in a circle of insanity and you're going to keep having things like that happen. I stepped back and I was like, that's it. And I've never looked back since. So you started going, you started getting your own self-worth, realized then that was the point where not only do I, you have your jujitsu black belt on the outside, but now it's time to get it on the inside. Now it's time to get it with self-worth. You deserve better than that. And that seems like it's the real true healing part for you that happened. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, it's five years this November, actually. Oh, honey, that's great. Congratulations. Yeah, I remember remember when that was going on, Danielle. And, you know, the interesting thing, and when you're sharing this, what keeps coming up, and a lot, you know, Perry and I, when we were studying at USM, and a lot of the work that we do is, they talk about how, you know, your programming by eight, nine years old is set and it's in your neural pathways and, and your whole experience of life was danger and abuse and all of that abandonment and, and shame, right? Hiding it. And so it's so interesting until we go back in and really deal with those patterns and deal with all of that, it continues to resurface in our lives and the strength way it manifests back up at the strangest times and in the strangest ways and we pull people into our lives unconsciously that we're like what the hell like you know and and part of it's comfortable because that's what you knew before you know it's comfortable like there's you think you can handle it because you handled it yeah I already did this I can do it so yeah I think you know my hat's off to you because really healing that type of 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 trauma is what it is healing that type of trauma it's it's so courageous and it's it takes you know the work of a warrior which you are and so i really honor that danielle because your story is like wow it's amazing I, and i but you know you I, said something when you talked about the the power of being vulnerable i mean here you are a badass you can take it all on and it's almost like you were saying in the universe bring it all on your your soul is learning his lessons it's like you came on the planet just bring it on i want to have my soul advance to its highest and you did <laughs> and it's interesting how what you say now and even the sports mindset of how vulnerability is is your greatest strength how could you move into vulnerability after being beaten up physically, emotionally, and mentally so much and be able to trust being vulnerable? Vulnerability isn't about reflections of other people. It's a reflection of us and it's a choice. And I couldn't live my life and I can give all the people that wronged me the power that I have and I can give it away and continue giving it away or I can harness it and make different choices. I can also be accountable to the choices I've made. I can see my part 
I can see my strengths and my weaknesses and I can choose to continue working on my weaknesses despite my irritation of them or my dismay of them or whatever it may be. But my vulnerability is definitely a conscious choice. It's a challenge. And as an athlete, I'm, I think I'm an athlete. I was born that way. I, I think athletes, we, we jump to the challenge. And that to me is what's empowering for myself and what, where I get my confidence. And because it's a choice, it becomes an ethos that I live by. And, and it becomes something that I'm able to translate, articulate, show the how-to for someone else that maybe I meet, another athlete. A lot of times, athletes at high, high levels, 1% mindsets, alpha-type people, high-level executives, that type of brain shows up different on an MRI. Your brain thinks to a higher level, and you, you talk to some of these people, so many of them, and they have a lot of deep-rooted emotional issues that they've never been willing to be vulnerable to. And as good as they get in one area, that weakness will live somewhere in them. And I am knowing that and having been through that myself, being able to compensate and let people think everything's great so much so that they're envying you. And then they find out your life and they're like, oh my gosh, like I have no idea. But right. this, this lives in a lot of um, high functioning people. It's almost like, okay, so in jujitsu, a lot of times, a lot of positions, you're comfortably uncomfortable only because you've been there so many times, like getting choked. Not, you put your hands on someone's neck and people, they shudder. You know, I know I can be in a choke for so long. I know my limits in the choke before it takes it too far. So I can be there for a while, really, really uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty comfortable. And so in life, when you've practiced that, and they actually have a roadmap of how to practice that, and then they have these beautiful channels to practice it within, they start becoming comfortably uncomfortable. And then they get good at it because the results start coming in. I think that's the same in life and in relationships. We can be superficial in a relationship and those are the results that are going to reflect, you know, or we can really give and make that choice to give and risk. And, and that's life. I don't make friends with failure, but I know it exists and I'm humbled by it. And, and, I, and I'll step to it any day and give it a run for its money. And so whether it's in relationships or sport or business or whatever it may be, we can, we might not be a hundred, we might not be a hundred percent. No human is every day. That's why they have this term called the zone, but we can wake up and be accountable to whatever we are. I might be 20%. I might be 50%. I almost died of Lyme's disease. You know, I was like 5% every day. I would get a hundred of it. And pretty soon moving on that positive path, making a conscious choice, you know, no, I shouldn't trust. When I look at my path, when I rewrote the book and I was re I was like, I should be a hot mess, literally. I should not trust. I, I'm a statistic when I read that, and it, and it hurt bad. But this life is one that we know, you know, and I refuse to give the power and put it in the wrong people's hands because each one of us has the purpose. We're all powerful. And if we continue giving power to the wrong people, that's how that evil energy, that's what it wants. You know, there's good and bad in the world. It's very real. And so I choose to kind of absorb as much of the positive probability in life as I can. And the only way to do that is to be vulnerable, is to be willing to connect. I think that is one of my strengths is to connect. And below that are all these things in, in terms of connecting, intention, taking the action, aligning those things. This is a conscious way and a choice that I choose to live by. And it does become an ethos. Vulnerability is a superpower. I'm a perfect example of it.
And so I've just made choices to go and share that with people that I relate to, that I know I can infuse this in them and they can be that much better. The athletes in particular, some of the athletes that I have, have the steepest improvement curves of any athlete in their sport cumulatively. I've had hedge funds reach out, financial people reach out, wondering what are you telling them? Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't believe me unless they were pacing with me every day and understanding the process, mm-hmm. you know, and not playing to the result and not expecting and living with the expectation. You know, there's a lot of entitlement in the world right now, in this country. It's shaken up. There's 50 million people suffering at real suffering levels, you know, and it's just, if you do not have a conscious awareness of how you live and what you live by, mm-hmm. and you don't walk the walk and talk it and do and those things don't line up, then the world's going to find a way of picking you up and dropping you on your head until you're listening. So mm-hmm. how, how do you show up in self-worth today? Well, you know, I took about almost two years from dating. Um, it's been a, a solid year and a half and I've just, you know, I don't like, like I said, I don't love failure and I'm not, you know, I think it was, I was attracting some good guys, good people, but just not people. They weren't at that level. They weren't ready to be vulnerable to the weaknesses of life and to doing the work and to do all these things. And I can want one thing and expect it, but until I become it, am I going to attract it? And I felt like, you know what, I'm going to take five steps back and I'm going to stop healing with the next and, and fulfilling it. I, I'm going to stand and be comfortably uncomfortable in my own skin and really do that work. And it's amazing because I never had a sense of peace or the happiness. People talked about it. I'm like, I don't know that I believe in that. I'm pretty happy. I, I have a pretty blessed life and I you know will jump out of planes or I'm out surfing or on a horse or a dirt bike or whatever. Like I find happiness in those moments. But really, those are just kind of my go-tos to run from all the things because that's what I did as a kid. And thank God I found such joy in it and it brought me a lot of tremendous success and attention and attention in the right places. It seems so healthy. But underneath it all, there was this tremendously broken little girl and I needed to like protect her and stop worrying about protecting everybody else. Mm. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. And now it's like somebody said something to me one day. They said, um, why, the way you allow people to treat you, would you allow somebody to treat your kids like that? And I was like, hell no, they would die. And I didn't sleep for like three days. I was like, why do I do that? And when I read back to my book, I saw this little girl. I read it so different. And I thought, my God, like shame on you if you don't change that. And it took a lot of time by myself to do that, time around other women to see even how you do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how. I just didn't know how. Oh, but like, here I was able to help everybody else, and I couldn't even help myself. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I don't. No, it's, you know what, it's such tears of joy, actually. And it's, you know, when you've come from that kind of childhood, you do learn survival skills that later on as it catches up with you you learn that the bottom line is the self-love because we weren't taught that. You weren't taught that and you weren't shown that. And how beautiful is it is I'm looking at you and seeing your effervescence and who you are. I see that self-love projected, you know, and it's a journey. It's really a journey. And you're on such an amazing journey. (laughs) That's true. I remember when I, I will tell you like just, 
and I can relate so deeply to going like, I want to have that feeling inside myself. I mean, this is probably 12 years ago, 10 years ago for me. I'm going, I want to so badly just love myself for just because I'm me, for nothing I'm doing, nothing I'm, you know, not who my friends are, not anything, yeah. just because me. I just meet the little girl in me, right? That little girl, like, I'm enough just because, because I'm a soul having a human experience. Like, I'm enough. And I remember when that feeling started to come through me. I'll, I'll never forget this. And really that knowing that, like, my inherent right is to be loved and I am loved. And when I really got that and I didn't have to do anything else, just be and emanate love to people. And, and it, there was something just so profoundly healing in that. So I, yeah, Danielle, like you are so on your journey and so dropped in right now and really taking care of yourself and all stages of yourself, right? Yeah, all at once. All, <laughs> all at once. Gosh, <laughs> I'm a handful. No. <laughs> you have that, you know, this is a question that I wanted to ask you at the beginning too, because I had a similar background. Mm -hmm. And I learned my survival skill was to learn how to perform. Mm -hmm. If I performed and that meant, and someone paid attention to me, they would tell me that I'm worthy and I'm lovable, right? So performance became that my sport as it was to you. Mm -hmm. So now that you know the difference and you're not on this, you know, kind of gerbil wheel constantly trying to prove to other people that you're worthy and you're lovable and all this stuff and you need all these awards and you know all these accolades how do you transfer that performance mindset to one of just pure ownership of who you are and this is just what you love and your passion without needing anybody to pay attention or give you accolades for performance I mean, there's a fine line between the performance mindset and the others. No, that's true. I think I got, um, I moved a little bit further away from training in the martial arts community. Um, and I went back to where I felt, I found my confidence as a very little girl and where I just felt peace was in the ocean. And I've just gotten more into surfing, just that kind of thing. I think sports are something I give so much credit to and so much love for and respect because it, it saved me. It also provided a, an outlet to run and, and seek all the things you're saying. But I think no matter what I've always said too, like, what if I had the supportive parents pushing me, then what could I have done with sports? I think athletes are born that way. I think it's an honor, a tremendous honor to be an athlete. It gives us that extra layer to dig to, to fall to, to lean to for that strength, for that fierce strength that we all need sometime in our life. I always embrace that. It's just, it's changed shape. My grief from a young child and, and some of the, the crap, there was a lot of good too, you know, um, there really was. And I saw the strengths and weaknesses of both my parents and some of the redeeming factors of them. But I just, I, I needed space from that. And I still continue to feel that way, but I haven't veered away, but I don't feel that need to go compete. There's times where I'm like, oh, maybe I got another fight in me. Maybe I have this because I get asked, but I know what it takes to, to, to prepare for a fight. And I don't have that. There's something that's not there. You know, the nerves aren't there. That's not there anymore. And, and that feels good, actually. It feels good to be able to go do the things I want to do. I'm tremendously blessed to be healthy enough to go do them after 
tons of surgeries and autoimmune and hospitals and you name it, I've been through it. And to be able to still go do those things to have my physical self and be, you know, I feel internally stronger than I was, but there is that edge missing. So sometimes I'm like, gosh, would I get my ass kicked in, in a fight? I don't have that edge right now, you know, but who but knows? Softness, you know, the edge, a lot of times the edge can come from, because a lot of the things you did, especially in jujitsu, oh. it, it hasn't gone on um, unnoticed that you chose a self-defense martial art, right? And jujitsu. And a lot of your work has been in that because that's been your experience, right? Yeah. And we're going to protect yourself at all, at all means. So as you're healing, that's probably that, that need to do that is probably not quite as strong. I remember, Danielle, I was giggling when you were just talking about the surf. Remember when you took me on a surf, you took me out to surf and you couldn't stop laughing because I look at her, look at her laugh. I did, I did. <laughs> I was like, Danielle, I want to go surf with you. And she was like, okay, let's go. So we go out, we go out. You guys, I don't surf, okay? I grew up in San Francisco. Good job. No, I, I pummeled head first over the board and you couldn't stop laughing. And you're like, you're the only person I know that's going to keep going out, even though you keep getting pummeled. And, and, you're, and you're an athlete, Dad. I'm an athlete. But um, I got in there, though. Most people would have been like, I'm going in. I can't do this. And she just kept paddling back out and taking beatings. Surfing's way harder than it looks. Surfing <laughs> was the hardest thing I've ever even attempted to do. It is so hard. And even the baby waves, you feel like, oh, I can handle that. It feels like you're going 60 miles an hour and you're going to die. I mean, you're literally, you're jumping up on the board and I would just go head first, nose right into the water. <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was yeah. awesome. I love that you got out there, though, Di. It was super fun. See, you, you went out and you did it. I, I, well, I attempted. It was fun. I felt really good about myself after. And then you watch her and she popped up. So. Oh, I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure she's like, great. So, Danielle, I want to know, I was just thinking about this as you were speaking. What is your greatest fear? Oh. You know, what's very strange that you asked me that, I was court mandated to go to get some therapy, which ended up being cool. I was really pissed off at first. It was cool. But the, uh, <laughs> but the therapist was really cool. And she said, you know what? You don't have a fear factor. It's like you're the opposite of a hypochondriac or someone who's scared to death of everything. She goes, you've let it get too close before you've ever reacted to it. Mm -hmm. And I really thought about it. And I'm like, I'm really not scared. I think the, the only thing I think that I would be scared of, and I've tried to actually be more aware of fear and allowing fear to like try to notice it and hope I feel something, losing my kids before I die. That is probably the worst fear. That was number one. And number two, being paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And I don't like fear, like fearing things or letting it live. You know, I just try to turn and face it. And you know, because I think sometimes if you're in the field and you don't want the ball, the ball's getting hit to you yeah. every time, you know, you're afraid to mess up. I don't want the ball. I hope they don't hit it to me. It's coming to you all three outs. So I, I try not to, I, I've always been that way. I've never really lived in fear of anything. Fear is very foreign to me, which sounds weird. But again, I think that comes from being a kid and just things happening. And you're like, well, I'm still here. I've almost died quite a few times. Um, where I thought I was going to drown twice. I passed out in the water. I don't even know how I got to the beach. Being assaulted like that, I didn't know in the moment when it would stop. And I felt at a, one moment during it that he's going to kill me. Um, I've been in the water with a shark. I've gone skydiving. I've 
done a lot of different things, had um, a burglar in the house before when I was in there and had a stalker that was weird that kept saying they want to kill you. And then had my doctor tell me, you're probably going to die when I got my blood test back with my autoimmune. So I honestly don't take those things seriously. I feel like, you know, only the good die young. I'll be here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> how do you handle, how do you handle your, your fears? I mean, like a lot of people, they're stopped by their fears. Clearly you're a different animal. You like, you know, you bring it on, but how would you tell people um, whether athletes or not, or kids, the kids that you work with, and they talk about their fears, what do you tell them and how to handle their fears? Number one, talk about it. Bring, you know, bring it out. Talk about like what are the worst possible things that could actually happen. Like create another perspective around and about the fear. I think we all have certain levels of fears. See what level is it? Is it a three or a four? Is it a nine or a 10? Um, what's the reality of that fear actually happening? I think things we fear, the reason why we fear it is because there's a realistic situation involved of it and probably the probability of it being there it can happen. But what's the true probability, mm-hmm. you know? And then also just realizing that this is our journey and it's not going to be all hearts and stars. There's going to be real big dips in the road and some giant gullies and obstacles and things. And it's, it's there for a reason. Fear is like pain. Fear is there to let us know to listen to our intuition that moment. It's a, it's, a, it's a responsive tactic to get you to stop, look, pay attention for a second. I think a lot of people, when they get scared, they do this. And I would encourage people that when they feel fear, don't cover your eyes, turn and face it. Look it straight in the face for what it is. Look it, look it up and down, size it up. Mm. Be realistic with yourself. Take some deep breaths before you react. We have a choice how we react to things. I tell my athletes, what's your... What's your failure routine? You know, how do you respond to when failure happens in your sports? Because it will. And as much as we prepare for all the good things, a lot of us don't prepare for the that happens in life. And I think when you go down those things and you think, look back on how you've responded, how you've reacted to things, and, and look ahead and, you know, that's a great question, Di. What's your fear? You know, that's a conversation all on its own of what, what are people's fears? What are the worst fears? What are things that have happened? Look at this person, how resilient they, they are because they did live out that true fear. Um, fear is just yeah. like pain. If my arm hurts because my arm's broken and I move it weird, it's my, it's my body saying, give it time to heal, calm down, stop what you're doing because the pain is there to let me know that my arm's not ready to function, full function yet. And pain is the same. I mean, uh, fear is the same. It strikes and you stop. And it gives you that awful feeling inside that's sometimes paralyzing. You know, that, fe- that freeze, flight, or fight type of moment. Those three things are very real. Some people freeze. They get paralyzed in their fear. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had that happen when the burglar came. I was like paralyzed um, in, in the moment. And then I reacted. I think we're all different. I'll be the person that goes out front and I don't know why I'm that way. I I did a TV show for Discovery Channel and I spent 30 days out in the British Columbian wilderness two years ago, the whole month of October. And the, the freezing, the freezing cold was my biggest worry because it went down to 10 degrees and I had the clothes on my back. It was a survival show set up to make us fail at survival. So you can imagine how tremendously difficult that was. I lost 23 pounds and there were bears, there were wolves, there were real legit elements out there to be fearful of. And this really tests you at such a primal level 
of are you somebody that will quit? Will you die before you quit? Um, what are your fears in life? My fear was what if something happened and I couldn't be there for my kids? That's yeah. literally the only fear I felt. When wolves came, I faced it. When the bears were there, I was calm. I was very in tune with the mama bear that I ran into and had an interaction with. Moments where your life's flashing before your eyes and the elements, the real elements on earth when you're faced with them, how small, tremendously small we are, but also how fierce we are and how powerful we are and how frail you know we can be and how fragile life is. So when you thank God I've you know faced all those things and, and had that because it kind of resurrected again my confidence too. I felt I'm gonna be out here, I'm gonna leave some things out here. And I'm going to take back an understanding at a primal level and build my foundation off of that. I tell people all the time, we're stronger than we think we are. That experience being out in the wilderness for a month, like that, you know, it's interesting because you said the last two years has really been your, your, your awakening to all this stuff, to a lot. And it's really what a, what a foundation of being out, you know, in the wilderness and facing all of that and really seeing you know, the power within and, and God's grace on your life and, and really getting it right on a deep level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It opened it up for sure. You, you, when you sleep outside like that, your nightmares become live little movies in front of you. There's times where it's so black outside that your equilibrium is off and you're opening your eyes and it's such pitch black and your nightmares are coming alive in front of your face. And when you're hallucinating because you haven't slept in four days because it's too cold to stop moving, or you're so hungry, when you don't eat like that, you snap into a different zone of consciousness. I've never tried a drug. Um, I've heard psychedelics are somewhat like that, but I think starvation can <laughs> get you there. Um, a natural drug. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, Gosh. It, it was crazy. What did you learn when you came out of that? What was the biggest takeaway for you after 30 days of excruciating, crazy? Torture. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, I can't think of anything more torturous in my life. But, you know, (laughs) I get upset if I break a nail. I will never quit. (laughs) I learned I won't quit. I'll die before I quit. And I wanted to quit a lot of times, but something in me was like, no, you're not quitting. Like, I I was like, you're so stupid. I had a lot of self-talks. I don't quit. I won't quit. Um, also, just how powerful we are, like I said, and how, how fragile we are as well. And I think that there's a lot of room for us to always be better. And it's just a matter of what you want in your life. Do you live, you know, when your column of expectations is higher than your kind of column of standards, your life's going to have a lot of turmoil. You're going you're gonna to be moved in ways you might not want to be by other people's actions or inactions to to you. And so if you can raise your standards and lower your expectations, then your standards become about accountability to how I am, who I am, how I treat people, how I move and shape the space that I'm given, you know, how I breathe my breaths and where I what I speak out of my mouth. What do I give life to when we speak poorly or when we do these things yeah there's times to be like oh this and this and this but if you're somebody that's constantly gossiping and speaking poorly and doing these things you're giving breath and life to that that inadvertently is reflecting you you know there's just there's a great power in the universe and it's out there i saw the most picturesque beautiful images in front of me 
but then it could kill me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this doesn't translate on television. Matter of fact, I saw like the first episode. I'm like, I can't watch this because it just didn't depict what was really healthy. Oh, the suffering, the cold, mm. it eats through your skin and you are in so much pain and you're, you're agonizing your stomach to be hungry. Like the first two days was, I was crying in the bushes. <laughs> I was like, no, pancakes. Like I was like, all you can think about is stuff. Like I walked away, like I saw the medic kind of like, they kind of follow you once in a while, but then they go away at night. There's no safety. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like walking. I'm like, what's that? It's like bear poop. I'm all, ew. And then I'm for, I was thirsty. And I'm like, do we not get a bottle of water? And they just don't even respond. I'm like talking on the mic, like total spoiled brat. I'm like, ew, I got my boot wet. Like the first day I, I'm sure they were like, we can't wait. She's going to quit by 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, ew, ew. Like, I think there's clips of me just like making faces at the water that they're drinking. <laughs> Pretty soon I'm like, get the mosquitoes out of the water, get the fire. I'm like, like, like total survivor. So Danielle, what is, what do you think is, and what would you share with our listeners about like how to build confidence? Where does your confidence come from? Because we've heard throughout the show, we ask this question once in a while, and it's really interesting because or are you confident? Like, what would be your formula for confidence and where does that come from? That's a good question. It's very interesting and I'll share something. When I have new athletes come on, I ask them two questions. What makes you confident and what stresses you out? Okay. And I ask these because what makes you confident is different than me and what makes you confident is different than me. And I, I think a lot of times when you're somebody who's helping somebody else, it's easy for us to project our confidence onto them. Mm -hmm. And it, it can sit there and it can motivate them as the external motivator, but it doesn't carry them through the time where you want them to make that transformation. Talking about confidence is very transactional, especially when you connect to people and you can kind of infuse your confidence on them. But what I find out from them is they're high and low. And I think I've heard so many, I mean, hundreds of different what makes people confident. And at the end of the day, it's a very, it's a very personal and, and difficult question for some people. I've had people start crying when I ask them that. Yeah. And I think they just don't know. They're like, oh my gosh, I don't know. What does confidence mean to you? What, is, what makes you confident? And it's this like emotional question for guys and girls. And so where does confidence come from? I think confidence comes from competency, from doing. You got to do. You got to not sit back and prepare for it so much. You can prepare, but start, do something. If I want to do something and I want to be confident in that area, then I just got to start. I just got to go do it. It doesn't have to, it doesn't always look pretty. Just like a fight in self-defense, it's not pretty. If you're still standing after the fact, then you're successful. You know, things aren't like the movies. It's not always this tremendous romantic story of she found confidence. Like people looked at me for years thinking I was so confident and I was I, I didn't even, I couldn't have told you what made me confident, maybe winning this or winning that. Like, Hey, I, I didn't know. I think committing to not being afraid to fail, you're going to find some confidence just knowing that you can, like I can, I'm, I did it. I showed up. You don't have to be the winner. You don't have to be these things. You don't have to be tremendously successful. All these things take time. Our world is set up for the immediate gratification. I want it now. I want to, I'm going to do a business. I'm, I'm not making money in 30 days. They throw it away. Like stick with it. Competency, the doing, the doing, just, just do. 
And you're going to go, you know what? I learned something. When I learn something, I make progress. Progress makes people happy. Progress makes us happy. Progress always translates into some confidence. Because even the confidence, I always tell my batters, hey, knowing you're, I have a go zone, no zone. They're like, no zone. I said, just as important as knowing what your zone is, what you want, where you're going to attack, I got to know where I'm not. You know what I mean? Just like dating. I know what I want. I definitely know what I don't want. If you're like, I don't know, you're going to attract some very interesting things. Even ask me, right? So confidence is, is knowing kind of what feels good. Where do I make progress? The little bit guys, 1% better a day. That's it. And that's realistic. Everybody goes, I got to do this great big thing. And then I'll be confident. It's like people going, when I do this, then I'll be happy. It's not true. It's not true. Competence is confidence because I I know I can do that. I know I can be kind. I have confidence and kindness. Mm -hmm. I know I can get up in the morning and I will get up and I will make sure my boys are good and I'll put them ahead of me. I have confidence as a mother because I know these things to be true, factual, because I do them, not just because I say them. I know I can go out and hold my own in the ocean. Am I invincible? No, but I have confidence because I've done it so many times and I still do it. And I love it. And, and that feeds my confidence, even in other ways. Confidence is not a singular thing. It's, it's not deep and narrow. It can be in certain things that we're competent in and, and we're experts in or whatever. And we're willing to go that deep in. We're willing to be vulnerable enough, vulnerable enough to go that deep in. But confidence is wide and can be thin. You know, it's really a personal thing. But confidence, but being competent in these little areas and knowing for yourself within your own skin, being comfortable in the company you keep in your own skin. That's confidence too. I love, I love that. I, I want to just ask you real quickly, so we, we're kind of running out of time just for the last two questions here, but you've done so much and you've accomplished so much and you've grown through so much, but what does enoughness look like to you? Enoughness looks like when I'm not here anymore. (laughs) You're complete. I love life. I love life. I I do not take lightly my time here. I am so grateful for my time. I don't take time for granted. It's just how I see the world. I see time. I see it moving. I'm looking forward. I'm looking at how I can fill a space. What can I do? I've kind of narrowed it down to some things and putting my energy into those things. And that's been difficult for me. So I feel like enoughness is, you know, I don't even know what that means, actually. That's a good question. You got me there. But I, I'll stop when I'm dead. See, I, I love that, Danielle. That's really what our show is about. You know, it's, it's about being able to live your life to the last breath. And I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. Yeah. Yes. Every day. Yes. Keep going. Yes. Keep going. Warmed well, up. I know. And it's for our audience, Danielle, are you 44? Yes. 44. 44. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> you young little thing. I know. I just <laughs> got to say, you, you youngster. All right. Di, are you going to ask our last yes. question? So lead me into our last question. Before, um, I'm going to ask the question and then I'm going to let everyone know where they can find you and stuff. So okay. our last question and what we ask everyone is, is the name of our show is Own Your Throne. So what does owning your throne mean to you? I think owning my throne means being comfortable in, in my skin and 
treating people how I would want to be treated and valuing myself and not ever compromising my integrity or my value or my self-worth for absolutely anything or anyone. Mm. That's, That's beautiful. beautiful answer. Thanks, Danielle. That's so, um, you're amazing. She's, okay. yeah, she's our, you know, I, I laugh, I go, she's like a real life superhero, you guys. Like, when yes. you know her, she's like Wonder Woman, like real. It's I don't know what she her dress as Wonder Woman and go to the children's hospital when it's not COVID once a month. Oh, yeah, so. dresses and what I've, yeah, we'll put those pictures up. They're so good. She looks just like them. So, Danielle, tell everyone what you're up to right now, like where they can find you. And um, I know you're in the middle of creating some incredible programs that yep. people would love like your, to be part of your programs or do your mindset coaching or whatever it is. So share with people where they can find you. All right. Well, they can find me uh, on Instagram at official Danielle Martin. I am launching truemindsets.com uh, coming up probably within the next month. And then that's my mental skills coaching um, business and true boundaries is also on Instagram. True mindsets is on Instagram, but usually people message me at official Danielle Martin. They can get my book on Amazon, uh, true from the inside out. I shared some of that today and, uh, and that's about it. You, you are a treasure, truly are a treasure and so um, inspirational. And I know that uh, this is a show I want my 16 year old daughter to watch. Oh, thank um, you. Because it's, you know, a lot of women, we are very strong and we are very fierce. And a lot of people just don't know it. And you tapped into how women can start believing that in their fierceness again. And, you know, we're, we're expected to be loving, self-loving, nurturing, all those things. But there's another side of us that's just as powerful and we can use both sides it's fine. You know, you'll talk to someone and they'll say, oh, well, I don't want to do that because that's really aggressive or that's just, you know, not, not I am. So it's, yeah. you know, we're all of that and it's okay to be all of that. Multidimensional. Yes. Yes. You know, and, you know, when I teach um, seminars to girls 16, 12 to 18, usually I tell them that our strength is our, on our soft side. That is our greatest strength. That's where women are the strongest. I, I tell them their strengths mentally, emotionally, and physically. And I tell them it's okay to be aggressive. Aggressive is better than passive aggressive, to be right. honest. <laughs> right. And having that fierce edge doesn't always look like what the society has painted to a woman that it looks like. I think there's a great balance for each woman to find their confidence in. And it does take all the sides and, and marrying them together and defining what those are for you. Right. Now, well, you've, you've certainly been a great example and inspiration. Thank you so much. I have such a pleasure to meet you, and Dai Dai has been talking so much about you, so thank you for taking Good the time, time with us. Yay! We yeah. love it. Thank, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. We're going to have you back. You. Yeah. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of Own Your Throne, and as you can tell today, man, Danielle Martin certainly owns her throne, and then some. Um, we loved being with you, and uh, we look forward to you guys coming back and joining us, and we'll have a lot more fun discussions with some other great, incredible guest speakers. Take care, and remember, own your throne. 
This podcast was created by Perry and I because we both met at school getting our master's in spiritual psychology, where we learned the tools and techniques to really heal, reclaim, and redefine the second chapters of our lives. And you'll also learn some tools and techniques from our guest. All you have to do is go and subscribe and leave some comments. Let us know what you think about the shows, as well as maybe you have some ideas of other guests that we could have. So enjoy the conversations, and we look forward to hearing from you. And be sure and check out our website, which is ownyourthrone.co. And we have some freebies for you, so be sure and check us out.